right, so we're chapter 1, verse 39, 39th verse of the book of Devarim, and Moshe continues. It's not showing on the screen, Rabbi, sorry. Okay. It's showing a target account. Okay, let's try this again. How's that? <laughs> Great. Tapchem, your children, that you said, Lavazia, that they're going to be for prey and for spoil. You venechem and your your sons, who knew not neither good nor evil. They will be the ones who will enter the land, and to them I will give it, and they will inherit it. So this is the aftermath of the story of the spies where the people are told you're not going to go in, your children will go in. The atem and you, penulachem, turn yourselves, or turn yourselves, go toward the desert by way of the sea of reeds. Verse 41, and you responded to me and you said, we sin to God. We're going to go up and we will wage war. And as we learned in Parshas Shalach, where the story is originally told, Alter Rabbi, Rabbi Shneur Zalman Abel Adi, author of the Tanya, the first Chabad Rabbi, he has a beautiful lesson from this, that no miracle was shown that caused this change of heart. So uh, the Jews said, oh, we can't do it. We can't go into the land of Israel. And suddenly they said, oh, we sinned. We can. So what happened in the meantime? What miracle happened that changed their perspective? And Alter Rabbi says, none. There was no miracle. So what happened is here he gives an important principle that when we get down to our essence, we have this pure connection with God that is full with faith, filled with belief. But sometimes the animal soul, or what we call the ego, gets in the middle of it. And it's like darkness. It clouds and blocks the light. And so what happened just by the fact of God telling them that they were going to, that they were going to, they lost their chance to go into the land, that shook them up and shook off the dust. And the darkness and their, their, their soul was able to come, come through. The light of the soul was able to come through. The belief, the, the pure belief that, yes, if God says we can do it, we can do it. And so suddenly they're ready to go. And, of course, the lesson in our own lives that when we feel that darkness or that skepticism, that lethargy, we should remember from the story that's not who we really are. We are, um, our, our true essence transcends that. And we just need to get in touch with it. So they said, we're ready to go, do as God told us. And they got ready for war. But they got ready to go up the mountain. But God said to me, verse 42, they shall not go up. And as Rashi says, it's not just a command, don't go up. It's, it's a prediction. It's a statement. It's not, if they do this, it's not going to be an ascent. It's going to be a descent. This is another lesson just seems to me that if you're doing something, even if you have the greatest intentions, but if God said, don't do it, it can't be something positive. So I loved giving the metaphor of the elevator. My elevator metaphor, which is when you come to the elevator, it sometimes will have a green button going up, arrow going up. Sometimes it'll have a red button going down and sometimes it'll have, it'll be neutral. So if you get into a up elevator, and you press down, it's still going to go up. When you go in, you, you put it in a lower floor, it's still going to go up. What that, what, that, what that means to me is that 
if you're doing a mitzvah, if you're doing something good, you're giving charity, you're studying Torah, you're putting on tefillin, if you're doing something good, even if you have a negative intention, you are going to be uplifted by the mitzvah. The elevator is going up. By the same token, if you're doing something bad, there's something that is wrong, something that's going downward, and you have the greatest of intention, I'm doing this for some great purpose. No, it's it, you cannot do something that's not kosher and expect that that will be an aliyah going up. So here too, God is saying, if you go up this mountain, even though you think you're going because you're, you, you want to go to the land of Israel, but the fact that you were told not to do it, it's not kosher, it cannot be an ascent. Just to get back to my metaphor, the neutral elevator, we're saying neither up or down, we're saying both, that is the metaphor for the mundane uh, things, the phenomenon that we engage with. There, we have the capacity to decide we are in control, whether it's going to go up or down, depending on our intention. Verse 43, I spoke to you, you didn't listen. You rebelled against the word of God, and you acted wickedly and went up the mountain. And the Amorite came and chased after you as the bees do. Now, why are the bees coming in over here? Rashi will tell us. But they beat you down in Seir as far as Chomer. So Rashi tells us, why is the Torah using the metaphor of bees? What's unique about bees? So Rashi says, hazot. This bee, a bee is devora, by the way, in Hebrew. This devora. So when the bee stings a person, it instantly dies. As soon as they, these people who are fighting against the Jews, as soon as they would touch you, they would die. So even though the Jewish people were in this state of, of sinfulness, doing something God did not want them to do, still they were um, God's people. And the fact that they were being attacked, this had a negative effect on those who were attacking them. Mem hey, verse 45, you you returned and cried before God, but, sorry, the doors were closed. God did not listen to you. didn't pay heed. You stayed in Kadesh for many days, as the days that you dwelled. So they were there, Rashi tells us, for 19 years. So uh, 19 years they were in a place called Kadesh, and for 19 years they were traveling about. Verse 1, And you circled the Mount Seir for many days. Let's go to the next portion, the fifth Aliyah. Can you see that? Verse 2. God said to me, saying, It's enough for you long enough for you to be circling this mountain, let's start moving north and tell the nation, verse 4, you're going to be passing through the border of your of your brothers. Well, really, it means your cousins. Here they translate kinsmen. Your kinsmen, your cousins, B'nai's of the children of Esau, who dwell in Seir. They will be afraid of you, but still be very careful. What does it mean, be very careful? If they're going to be afraid of you, why should you be careful? Rashi tells us, what, what, what does it mean? what's the definition of being careful? The next verse explains. Al tiskaruvam, do not provoke them. 
because you're not getting to, going to get any of this land, even ad midrach kafregel. This is an important phrase. Every verse phrase is important, but Rashi is going to comment on this. Very interesting. That God is telling them, you're not going to get any portion of the land of Seir, which is the land of Esav, even though the Jewish people are going to conquer uh, lands that are further north, even though they're on the, in the Transjordan, on the east side of the Jordan, not part of Canaan proper. But God is saying the part the part of the land that is belongs to Asov, it was given to the descendants of Asov. You're not going to touch that. And he used this expression, Admira, not so much as a footstep. Midrach Kafregal, even one step you won't get. Kiyirushal Asov, it's an inheritance to Asov. That's what I've given. I've given them the Mount Seir to Asov. Now Rashi has cites a very interesting uh interpretation. First of all, he says, What does it mean? Not so much as a footstep, meaning. I don't allow you to even go through their land without their permission, right? So not that you you can't even take uh, one small piece of it, like the, the size of a footstep, but rather you cannot walk through their land without their permission. But then he cites a beautiful matter that says that the word ad means until. It could also mean until, like there's a certain time when you will be able to walk through their land. And when is that? There will come a time, and that's in the time of Mashiach, in the Messianic age, that you will walk on Har Hazetim, on the Mount of Olives. So even in this rebuke, there's a, a little bit of a taste, just like we have during this time of the nine days, the three weeks, where it's the time of rebuke of the Jewish people. Still, there is a hint to the fact that there is coming a time when this rebuke will be reversed or when the, when the ultimate purpose of the rebuke will be fulfilled. And so here in this rebuke, Moshe, God is throwing in a hint to the fact that one day, one day, there is going to be a time when we do walk upon the land of Esau, and that is in the time of Mashiach. And metaphor, metaphorically, what that refers to, in addition to the land itself, is that Esau it represents the West, basically. Ace of later becomes Edom, Rome, and Rome traditionally was a enemy of the Jewish people, just destroyed the Second Temple, um, and so Esav represents kind of this antagonism to Judaism, antagonism to God. But at the time of Mashiach, all of these elements will either be destroyed or transformed. And so today we see, um, in in certain parts, we see that that the West. It allows allows the the um, observance of Judaism does not there we don't have the same antagonism as we had in the past we still have issues so we still need Mashiach but in comparison to the past the, the West is not a um, it's not an impediment to the to living a, a Jewish life and in the time of Mashiach that will be completely transformed and that's represented in in this idea in this verse and we see that also in the calendar so this idea that even within the rebuke you have you see that the the ultimate purpose of the rebuke is is the goodness that comes from it you have that also with this Shabbos so this Shabbos is called Shabbat Chazon the Shabbat of seeing and that comes from the uh, the Haftorah that we read this Shabbat Haftorah being the portion of the prophets that we read after the Torah portion each week. So the portion for today is the third of these Haftorahs of the three weeks. It begins, Chazon Yishayahu, the vision of Isaiah. And it's a vision of Isaiah, um, or, or a prophetic vision that he saw. 
but we are also taught from Rabbi Levi Yitzchak of Barditchev, the great Hasidic master, who said that on this Shabbat, everyone is given a vision. Each every one of us is given a vision, at least to our souls. We may not feel it consciously, but our soul is given a vision of the future Beit HaMikdash, the future temple, the third temple that will be rebuilt in, in, in Jerusalem. And so within these three weeks, within the nine days, in this very intense time of mourning, we're not eating meat and we're not drinking wine. Uh, within that, in that very time, God gives us a vision that from all of this rebuke, from all of this descent, there is the ultimate goal and the reward, which is the time of Mashiach represented in that Beit HaMikdash. Um, I think we'll stop there and open it up to questions and comments. Bruce. On a side note, you just mentioned when the Hof Torah and said it was the portion of the prophets. I'm unclear really what the Hof Torah is. Can you explain that to me? That's an excellent question. So Hof Torah, the history is that there was a certain period in our history, going back thousands of years, that the whoever was was uh, the the governing the governing authority of the Jewish people at the time. Uh, realize that Jews studying Torah every week and reading the Torah every week is good for the Jews. So they said, you can't do that. No more, no more reading the Torah every week on Shabbat. So the Jews were very clever. And they said, okay, we won't read the Torah, but we'll read from the Haftorah. <laughs> we'll read from the prophets because that had not been made illegal. And so they, they looked for um, things that were related to the Parsha but we're not in the, in the five books of Moses, but rather in the in the books of the prophets, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Micah, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And uh, we, so, at one point, you know, that decree went away, and so we once again started reading Torah, Torah, so the Torah itself. But why get rid of a good thing? So we kept the Parsha, the five books of Moses, and we continued doing a portion of the prophets, and of course. I think it's a great lesson in the fact that there's no mistakes in Jewish history. And so, you know, if you say, well, we're only doing it because, you know, there was this decree. So now the decree's over, let's stop doing it. No, here it's very clear. It's a good thing to do. Um, but it's also these kind of things happen that, that, you know, it looks like it's because of that decree that we started reading Haftorah. But really, we needed to start reading Haftorahs. And basically the difference between the five books of Moses and the prophets is the prophets are really like we talked about the book of Devarim being in the words of Moses, that it's, it's speaking to the people in a kind of bringing down, so to speak, the words of the Torah to the level of the people. And that's what the prophets are doing. I mean, who needs the prophets? We have the Torah. The prophets are there, they're kind of a bridge. They take the Torah, it's lofty and sublime, and they, they speak to each generation and eternally, right? If it's if it's in the Bible, then it's eternal and message message for all time to bring it into our consciousness. And so we need both. We need the words of, of the five books of Moses and every Shabbos, and along with that, the words of the prophets to uh, take it home, so to speak. And so, yes, that's what we have every week. We have the Haftorah. Usually it has to do with the Parsha of the week. 
like there's some connection to Barsha Week. So we had the, you know, the story of the spies. So when we read that in the Torah, we then read about the spies that Joshua sent from the books of the prophets. So we saw some correlation. Um, you know, we have the Parsha of the golden calf. So then we read in the prophets the story of Elijah, where the people were worshiping the Baal and he, you know, the great showdown uh, at, at Mount Carmel, where he, where he challenged the prophets of the Baal. Um, sometimes, however, like now in this period, we have a, the Haftorahs are not set according to the, 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 the Parshas per se, but rather the fact that we're now in, on the calendar, we're in this three-week three period of, um, of mourning. So we have Haftorahs that relate to you know, prophecies about what's going to happen to the Jewish people. If they continue to sin, they're going to, the temple will be destroyed and there'll be exile and so forth. Did that answer your question? Yes, very thoroughly. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Bruce. Thank you. Great question. Could I ask something, uh, Rabbi? Um, Absolutely. That you said earlier, I, maybe get clarified for me. Um, there was a in, in the early part of that partial, you said that uh, God said the children of Israel who did not know good and evil will be allowed to go into the land. Is that is that hearkening back to what God told Adam in the in the garden that you can eat of, of all the trees, but not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Is that is that what that refers to? You know what? That's an excellent point. I was thinking the very same thing as I was reading it. I didn't see, I didn't look in the commentators uh, on that verse. Rashi obviously doesn't comment on it, but definitely it sounds like it. So he's talking about children and children. Um, actually, you know, the beginning of the, start of the, verse, the verse starts off Tapchem, which is really little children. Then Benechem, your sons or your children, is not talking about little children, but it says they, didn't, they do not know good or evil. And yes, it made me think of that very same state of being that Adam and Eve were in before they ate from the tree, that, you know, they're very innocent. So the innocence, innocence of youth and really childlike innocence. So, yes, I think it does. Maybe that refers to that essence you were talking about, the direct connection to God is in that essence of, of innocence that's within us. Yes, yes. It definitely has this connotation of, you know, this older generation, the generation of Egypt. They're, you know, they keep making the mistakes. And the children, they're kind of a new slate. New slate. They're, um, they're in, they, have, they have this innocence and they'll be able to enter the land. That's an excellent point. Thank you. We'll send our, re we'll have our research department look into it. See what the commentators say. <laughs> They've been on vacation. Back to work. Anybody else want to share something or ask something? I missed the last couple of days, so I don't know. Were you were? Did you go through uh, Moshe making one last plea to go into the land? We did not. That will start next week. Next okay. week. 515 prayers by Etchanan. That starts Mincha and Shabbat. Start that. Oh, okay. He gives it his best shot. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Don't give up. Okay. Thank you. All right, gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. I wish you a wonderful Shabbat. And I hope your vision of the third temple comes in, um, you know, bright and clear in 3D. And in full cover, color, HD surround sound, 
um, just knowing that it's coming helps. So it's a very special Shabbat, Shabbat Chazon, Shabbat of vision. This is Shabbat of seeing and uh, vision and, and of sight. Speaking about the, you know, Bill, you raised the, the, the um, Gan Eden, Gan Eden, the beginning of Gan Eden. I read something beautiful about what it says when Mashiach will come. It says, that God will swallow, that death will be swallowed forever. There'll be no more death. And what that's saying is that the reason for death, right, is the reason for we have death is because they ate from the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so, as Alter Rebbe explains, they internalized evil into themselves, and therefore they could not live forever. Right? Therefore, kicked out of the Garden of Eden because Garden of Eden also had the tree of life, which if you eat from it, you live forever. And it was that it was therefore dangerous for them to live forever because they now had evil within them, and then you would be perpetuating evil forever. Whereas beforehand, they didn't have evil within them. So, what Chassidus says is that when Mashiach, it's, it's, it's what it says is that the existence or the phenomenon of death only exists because of the existence of evil. Because holiness and goodness is eternal, and death is a symptom of, of impurity of, of, and darkness and evil. So when Mashiach comes and the spirit of impurity is removed from the earth, there's no more evil in the world, then death is removed as a symptom. In other words, not this miraculous thing, oh, we're going to live forever. Rather... That is the natural state. Life is the natural state, the natural divine state. It's only because of the existence of evil that there has to be that there has to be death. And so when Mashiach comes, there will be this um, there will be this uh, eradication of evil, and therefore we're living forever. Now, the uh, the, the Rebbe talks about this in a, in a talk in 1965. It was after the 11 months of saying Kaddish for his mother, who passed away in Bab Tishrei. He talked about this, and he said that there's two ways of eradicating evil. That's speaking of oneself, for example. So a person can be perfect in action and never, never does anything bad or evil, but there's still, he still has a, an attraction to it. There's still a part of him that we're, we're, we're doing something wrong is not out of the question. It's just that he chooses and he's consistent and he's disciplined and he does everything right. So that's one level. When that, when that, uh, when you're at that state, then there still is, there still is a, um, you know, a leg for, for evil to stand on. Yes, you gotta go, Sean. We'll see you. Um, there is still, still a leg for, for evil to stand on. So even in the days of Solomon, when everybody was coming to Solomon, etc., still there wasn't a complete nullification of evil. But in the times of Mashiach, we'll reach that state. Where like this, like that of a tzaddik, it's for a tzaddik, as Alter Rebbe explains in Tanya, the complete tzaddik. Not only is he perfect in action, but there he, there's a a he despises evil, moes bara. There's no place for it, and that's a complete eradication of evil, and that's what we'll experience in the times of Mashiach. But the Rebbe says something very beautiful there. He says even those who are not on that level, even if they're not at the level of the benoni, they're still they're in the state of if only there would be a benoni. The benoni is the person who is not saintly in his heart, but he, he does everything right all the time. But most for most people, they're not even at that level because we occasionally make mistakes. Is even that person who makes mistakes from time to time, there are there are moments, there are moments when he reaches that messianic state of 
that the, the, that anything wrong or, or selfish or evil is not only deciding not to do it, but actually those things are absolutely abhorrent, abhorrent to do something that is against God's will in that moment, even if later he'll, he'll uh, you know, won't be in that state of inspiration. So he, he says it could be in during time of prayer or during time of Torah study or during a time of doing a mitzvah that he particularly um, enjoys or particularly is attracted to, uh, or even doing something that is mundane, as we talked about the elevator before, you know, going to work or eating or drinking or sleeping, going on vacation, all these things can be done for a godly purpose. So if they're done for a godly purpose and he's excited about it, and especially if he does it in a way of knowing God and all of his deeds, that is possible to enter that type of type of state where not only are we not doing anything wrong, but anything that is ungodly is like upgefrekt. It's not even raised as as a as a possibility. And and by those moments are I um, paving the road for the time of Mashiach when that will be the natural state of the world. So. So this begs the question of whether or not this eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was a fall into, into the ego itself, was a fall into that that gives us a propensity to challenge God, propensity to think we're somehow superior or, or, or there's evil, and we have to rise above that ego to the essence, or maybe it's a saving from that ego to the essence. Exactly, exactly. That's what happened. And as we, we learned in our uh, biblical uh, JLI class, that was by design also because go, get, going, getting far, going far and then coming, you know, coming back to that oneness, when you come back to the oneness after the fall, there's a much is even greater uh, oneness and depth. So thank you again, gentlemen, wishing you a wonderful Shabbat. And we'll see you on the other side with Parshat Va'et Hanan. Thank you. Thank you and Shabbat.